Welcome back to the Better Men and Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 103rd episode of the podcast, where we get a chance to talk to head coach at Carson Newman University, Coach Tom Griffin. Coach Tom Griffin, or as most guys know him as the catch-it-block-it-throw-it guy, uh, is considered one of the most premier catching minds in all, the whole game, offering you know crazy instructional videos. If you are not following him on Twitter, uh, you definitely need to. Uh, but Coach Griffin is just a guy. He is the head coach at Carson Newman, like I said earlier, and uh, been there for 18 years at Coach uh, at Carson. And he has coached multiple big league draft picks. He said multiple over 20 professional players. He's had nearly over 40 all-sack honors, all-region teams, and many, many All-Americans. Um, Coach Griffin, the most famous for, is, is, is ABCA. Um, he's been ABCA speaker multiple times. Orlando, uh, as also as Anaheim, which was awesome. Um, both of those. Um but let's not forget, though, he's won nearly 700 games. And you'll hear in this, it's, it's just one another one of these guys that it doesn't, it's just, and it's, it's, it's so humbling, uh, just how humble it, it, he is. And, and it's not that important to him. He just goes out and continues to develop, do the best he can in every practice with the kids he has in front of him. Uh, Coach Griffin uh, was... Uh, amazing to talk to. Um, very fortunate. It was a, it was an incredible conversation. We get to through through tons of things. You you hear what kind of passion he has. You hear um, how he does try to learn all the time and how he's just continuing to develop his players. And is also here for a uh, a bigger reason. And just uh, it was a lot of fun. And I can't thank Coach Griffin enough. Just like I can't thank the guys from Netting Pros for helping us sponsor this podcast uh, and again if you're not following will minor following guys netting pros watch what they do netting pros are improving programs one facility at a time netting professionals specialize in the design fabrication installation of custom netting for backstops batting cages dugouts scoreboards bp cre- screens and ball carts they also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen turf turf protectors dugout benches dugout cubbies and more Netting Pros continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at netting, www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. So big shout out again to those guys. Thank you all uh, for supporting us. Um, again, if you are not following Coach Griffin on Twitter, at Catch Block Throw, at Catch Block Throw, website is CatchBlockThrowIt.com. Give him a follow, check out his website, check out the videos, has a ton of stuff for you, all your catching needs, all of your catching needs. Right. And there's so much more to this conversation than just that. So here he is, Coach.
Coach Tom Griffin from Carson University. So really, that's what we both have done. We have coached, and the accolades or the wins, the losses, the, the really to me is, I don't know. I, to me, it's just always been irrelevant. It's always been about the just the the, the journey um, more than anything else. So I, I really never pay attention to like the the draft picks or my record or this and that. There's not a lot of success with it. Maybe that's why. I mean, if you were Mike Shashevsky, you'd pay attention to it because you won a lot. But for me, it's it's really not. It's not. I've never um, even paid attention to it. I the bio ain't even updated. I I don't care about that. Uh, you know, it's just this year focusing on trying to become a better coach, getting better at what I do. Am I getting better in communicating? Am I getting better in training these guys? That's really the only focus I've ever had. So, yeah, that's what I was wondering, man. I was wondering just, like, and all, with all the success that you've had, and that's really just where you've always been. Like, you haven't really kind of changed from that. It's always just been about that that process, that commitment to helping the developer of the player. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and really, you know, as a young coach, like you know, like all of us, pay attention to the wins and losses because your ego is so big and you, 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 part of it, you're thinking is they won because of me. And when they lost, it was because they played bad and <laughs> you get it all backwards. And then you start realizing when you start getting older and you're having kids for your own, a family, um, when you start maybe in my case, becoming more, um, my faith got stronger it was like, listen, there's a greater purpose this than the wins and losses. That's a byproduct of us doing the right things each and every day. And so that really became more of the focus. And I think as you get near the end of your career, it becomes even more important um, because all these years go by and you don't pay attention to the championships or this. You're just paying attention to the relationships. Do you feel, you know, and, and this is what you, do you feel that you'd have the same kind of career if you were, if you know, the, the, the guy that you, that you bring on first year out of college and him taking that route, because I'm sure that's what people want to say. Like, Oh, that sounds, that does sound great for, for a person, you know, even for me, nearly 20 years in or whatever, but could you do that as a first year guy right out of college? Yeah, because I'll tell you why, because of things like this, with this podcast you have, and I think with the ABCA and the coaches clinics, and we hear coaches talk more now about the purpose in coaching. And I think that helps young kids to reflect, not that they're going to do it, but at least they're hearing that, listen, there's a greater purpose to your coaching than how many wins you get. And we used to never hear that because there wasn't podcast. There wasn't coach speaks there. The ABCA had all fundamentals. There wasn't the, you know, the morals and the ethics of coaching and uh, the mental aspect of things. So I think now these, these young coaches have so many opportunities to learn from a lot of coaches on what their purpose in coaching should be. That's a great point. That's a really great point because yeah, I think you definitely don't go to ABCA right now without hearing how to, you're hearing culture. Um, yes. You're not hearing, yes. you're, you're definitely getting a performance coach. You know, you're going to hear something of the mental game. Uh, 
that's a big nail in the head right there. Absolutely. You, you know, you have yeah. these social breakout rooms or, you know, people that are, yeah. you know, uh, I remember, like, I remember my, my wife was asked about when reality, I was like, I remember we did that at the ABCA and they, and, and the Mar they were doing that years back because they had, they, they sponsored like a, you know, like a social back in the day. I forget mm -hmm. when it wasn't, when it first came out and Seattle was doing it. Um, but yeah, you're right, man. That's, that's a huge point where the ABC necessarily yeah. wasn't like that back then. And, uh, wow. Yeah. That's a great point for sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. So when, so did you have like a mentor? Like, so you said you were always kind of like this, you always had this kind of development model. Uh, is it, it, where did that come from? I think, you know, honestly, I think growing up, coaches you have in your life kind of tend to develop us. And, and I had some great coaches in growing up in New Jersey that I felt were those type of mentors, whether it was in football or baseball. Um, my high school football coach was a, was a huge mentor to me. Uh, you know, I wanted to coach football in high school. I wanted to be like him, Jim Fiorello. Um, you know, my college baseball coaches, uh, Mike Policastro, who, now coaches at Cleveland State Community College, was a huge mentor to me. I knew I always wanted to coach and watched how they went about their business. Um, motivating, encouraging, critiquing, criticizing. And I really wanted to take the mold of those guys that I kind of had in high school and college. Um, and then, you know, the, the greatest thing also was, was uh, working camps. Uh, especially when I first started coaching and, and working at Princeton University, there was a coach there named Tom O'Connell. And we talk about old school coaches. This guy was old school, man. He was tough. But just watching how he ran the camp and his passion, his energy, his attention to detail, his attention to discipline. I mean, this is a camp where kids are paying to come there. But if they did not do what they were supposed to do, um, he, he would literally be like, I'll send you home. Huh. You're not. You're saying a babysitting camp. This is the, this is how to learn to play the game the right way. And if you can't do that, we'll give you your money back and you go home. Now today you don't see that as much. You know we're collecting the money as they come in, but that that was Coach Tom O'Connell, man. It was like this is this is more than just a, a camp. This is this is lesson in life, man. This is a lesson how to play the game the right way. And I think it's those type of guys that I've been around that I think uh, have helped me develop but i'm even still learning from guys um just like you with these podcasts uh, i remember mitch thompson on here uh, back in january phenomenal yeah. uh, i've heard him speak at the abca and and like you i like to call coaches up in the summer pick their brain always try to pick a coach who won a world series and find out hey coach how, how come this year what was it you know and um try to figure out ways to make your practices more efficient or kind of change it up. So it becomes fresh, um, how to, how to interact with kids, how to make them, uh, how to communicate better, how to teach better. Um, you know, all of that, uh, that we're all trying to do is be a constant learner and use others as, uh, as the teachers. Mm -hmm. So how has like your communication, you brought that up twice. Like I'm just thinking about, so some some advice on being a better communicator. Like, how is your communication skills growing? <laughs> Something that we're always well, trying to do. Hey, hey, the way, hey, Trey, the way our season's going, it ain't going very well. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, uh, 
I need to be better at communicating. But I mean, listen, I'm a I'm a Irish Italian kid, um, so I'm very emotional and very passionate, and I'm very loud, um, and and probably sometimes I get a little too uh, anxious about stuff, and uh, I think sometimes it's better if I just didn't say anything. Um, learning when to say things, um, trying to learn your kids and finding out what makes them tick. Um, I, I, I'm still trying to be better at that, you know, and, you know, some kids you can, you can, uh, get into and, and challenge and other kids, you have to do it one-on-one and do it quietly and, you know, put your arm around them and tell them you believe in them and, uh, you know, feel like they, um, can do a little bit better than what they're doing. That's gotta be done one-on-one. Um, but again, it goes back to, you know, I'd rather just say it to everyone or one guy. So they all get the message. Um, but, but I think it's, it's learning how to, uh, communicate with your kids one-on-one, uh, what their personalities are like, what's going to be able to get them from point A to point B. And I'm still learning how to be better at that. I mean, just like a father, uh, you know, with your, with your twins, you know, there is no book. There is no one way it's trial and error. Some days it works. Some days you got to go with a different technique. Uh, it's, it's really just having a feel common sense, street awareness of, uh, what to say, when to say it and how to say it. So true. Just having a feel. I love that. I always love the feel comment, man. Like it's such a baseball, yeah. term. it's such a baseball term. It really is. You, know? <laughs> it you, is. Don't, you don't feel, I mean, you, you hear it a little bit with like shooting maybe with basketball, but like having a feel, it means so much in the baseball world. And I love it. It really does. And and I guess we've also started awareness, just having an awareness of what's going on around you. Be aware of the people that are around you. I mean, you know, we talk when when we want to have confidence and, you know, we're talking with guys about competing and confidence. Well, what is that? Well, it's an awareness. It's awareness of your abilities. What are your strengths and weaknesses? And the guy you're playing against, what's his strengths and weakness? You got to be aware of that. You got to be aware of the situation that's going on right now. Um, I think that's the same thing as having a feel is basically having an awareness. Um, And, uh, you know, that's something we're trying to teach our guys, something we're still trying to learn. Um, And I don't think you ever stop learning that and trying to improve upon it. Yeah, having a feel is always because you're always aware. I mean, if you have a feel, you are yeah. you, are, you are learning and kind of scanning the environment and kind of the situation that you're in. So, uh, there's no yeah. If you kind of stop yep. having a feel, you kind of stop learning and seeing what the, what's around you. That's right. And you know, I, we all want our kids to have instincts, and you know, we well, how are we going to get instincts? Well, uh, it's basically having awareness and not having blinders on, seeing everything going on around you. It's um, it's, it's the experience that you have in playing the game. And we've talked about this. I think a lot of coaches, you know, we've lost some instincts maybe because we're not watching the game as much that maybe kids did 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, because we can learn a lot by watching the game. And obviously, unfortunately, these kids have a lot of distractions that we didn't have. Sure. And it sometimes makes it a little more difficult, um, you know, we all sit there, well, you ought to watch more baseball. Well, they got a lot of other stuff going on. We'd probably be doing the same thing they're doing, not watching as many games because there's more things that we can turn to. Yeah, 
It, it's tough to say for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely tough to say for sure. Um, I, I think about having a feel and like just kind of knowing what you, uh, what you appear to love, you know, like with your catching instruction and all the drill in your drill work and having a feel thinking about how do you do that with having a feel of like how much work to do almost like work management, right? How can you like having a feel for like how much to push your guys, like let's say during the season and just, just that really like how much to push them because of all the stuff that you'd like to do and all the co- great content you're putting out there. How do you have, how do you, how have you had a feel for that of when to push and when not to? That's a great question, Trey. Um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of guys and, I, and I'll hear guys say giving catchers rest, um, allow their legs to, you know, get under them. Uh, yeah. Don't play too many games, but I, I don't know. Trey. I guess I was fortunate growing up. I mean, I was able to go to a, a school to play college baseball. We're fortunately, I literally caught every game. Uh, right. We're talking fall and spring and, I never, never wanted to come out. Listen, back in that day, Trey, so in high school and college, when they threw BP, the catcher would gear up and catch BP. Oh, my. And you'd catch the ball and put it in the bucket next to you. And then when everybody got to hit, the catcher, we'd hit, I'd get to hit last. And then you'd get up there to hit, and you'd get like two rounds of five, and they were ready to clean it up. <laughs> and so, but you didn't even think twice about it. And, you, you know, I, you never wanted to not, you didn't want to play. You wanted to play. No, you didn't want to sit. And so with our guys right now, and I think in our training, we love to have variety in what we do in our training. Um, we don't want it to get stale. So we like to have different drills and we feel the different drills create more of an athlete as a catcher because there's different movement patterns with the j- different fundamental drills that we do. But there is times that you may be in the weight room. We got to back off of legs, um, maybe spend more time in the stretching department than in the actual weightlifting department. But I do believe that the body uh, will handle the workload that it's trained under. And if you train it, um, it'll be used to it. And so we do train it very hard. And um, I had a catcher two years ago, Ethan Goforth, caught every game caught every game and he caught the bullpens uh during practice time and again i think his his legs and his body were trained for it and i i think we can do that um certainly the body type maybe some background on the individual uh could help us in maybe changing what we do with them but um listen when we get to practice our guys put the gear on right from the beginning so when we go to stretch, it's on. The only time their gear comes off is if they're hitting. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the gear is on. And, and for me, it's just the way I've always done it. It's just because it's like, this is my equipment. I mean, this is, is kind of like our armor. And we're going to train in it. And um, so we're, you know, I think there's a little bit of a, an overload principle of having a, on our body that um, it's just what, what I did growing up and, and all our catches have always done. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to say about that for sure. I mean, if if they they just have it on, um, is is it something? I'm just thinking about like just the progression of that when a guy comes into you as a freshman compared to like mm-hmm. you know, the guy that you said caught all game, uh, like last year. Um, 
you know, do you have like younger guys that are kind of working up to that? Do you see like it's kind of a progressive? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I do to a certain degree, Trey, but I think that, um, you know, when we do our training, it's not like it's a two hour full, uh, catching squatting, you know, obviously the NCAA with our restrictions, we have so many, um, hours a week, but so you got to segment individual time with your catchers. And so it's, you know, it's a small segment of time. It could be 20 minutes. It could be 40 minutes. Um, and then during that time, I feel like even the freshman catchers, yeah, there's a buildup process. Um, you know, what we do in the weight room, what we do with our stretching, uh, that are more catcher specific type drills for the legs to help build them up. Um, there is, I guess, a progression for that, but, but once we get into it, yeah, I think, uh, um, we're into it full bore and you got to communicate with your kids, obviously. And, you know, before probably how, how the legs feeling on a scale of, uh, a, B, C, D, F, where you at? Hey, I'm a D today coach. Legs are my hip flexors. All right, well, we're going to spend a little more time stretching today. Let's stretch them out a little bit. We'll be a little lighter in the drill, but we're going to do some more stretches right there. We might do some dry work and we can always do some drills where we're on two knees to work on receiving. So there's some things we can do to variate through communicating with them. If you know, the legs are, are heavy that day. Mm-hmm. I think that's I heard. Uh, I think it's a great way of saying like, do you should you check in with your guys every day? Uh, just asking, yeah. hey, how's your legs doing today? Yeah, I mean, I think we do it with all our guys. You know, you want to just see where you're at. And now, now, Trey, take that with a grain of salt because you know you're going to get some guys who are like, oh, coach, I'm a D, I'm a D, I'm a D all the time. Woe is me, I don't feel. Because sometimes, listen, you're going to be sore today, guys. We still got to go to work. We still got to clock in and get the work done. So you got to kind of get to know the personalities. And you got a kid who's, you know, it's a tough kid and never backs down. And he says he's a C or D, you know, he's hurting. Then you got mm-hmm. some other kids who no matter what are never going to be an A or B. It doesn't matter. You're going to grind them. You got to, you got to push them. And I think, again, it's kind of know when the push guys, when the pull off, um, getting to know their personalities, know a little bit about their background. Um, trial and error, trial and error. But obviously, like I think all coaches, communication with them is extremely important um, and knowing where they're at um, and where they want to go. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, man, I, I just love, I, I'm thinking even of just a catcher that would just love to come play for you because, you know, like they, there's just a lot of times where they just do not get like that extra work that, you know, you're putting out those great contacts and the drills, you know, like, it's just, I'm sure that just even that alone, the extra attention is even sometimes probably tough for them to like maybe just get used to the wear on their legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you're probably right. Probably not paying attention sometimes to that with them. But, um, you know, I think by the drills that we do and the way we have our training set up, I think that their legs get built up just like they're in the weight room. and. Yeah. Then, then the workload that they have to do during the fall, going into the winter, into the spring, um, it, it's, it's, it's their foundation. It's, it's their, it's their trunk of their tree. It's, it's what we build up. Um, and, and I feel like, uh, conditioning wise, um, they're in great shape because of the attention to detail in our drills every day. 
And even on our off days, some of the things that they do on their own is still functional training for them as a catcher. No matter what we do in the weight room or anybody does in a weight room, there is nothing better for a catcher than to literally catch or to do drills or to be in a squatting position. We, we tell kids in camps, you know, um, you can't get to a weight room or whatever. You literally just got to get into a signal stance for a 30 second commercial. Next commercial, go into a primary stance. Next commercial, go into a secondary stance. You literally just sit in stances and you're going to functionally build up the strength of your legs to handle the workload of catching. Um, and the more guys can catch bullpens. I mean, there's no better training than to be able to catch a variety of different bullpens, not only for the fundamental of receiving um, and gaining more knowledge about different arms and how they work, but really functional training for their legs. Oh yeah, you're definitely. Uh, I, I love that. Just about there's nothing better than catching bullpens for sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what? Mm-hmm. And speaking of this, since you're the, a great guy with this, is how uh, do you ever bring in any kind of competition or any like you know like we chart things on the infield, we chart things here like do or when or is it just a matter of you just kind of are watching them to make sure that they are. Is it just the accountability of it with somebody just being there, making sure that they are, you know, sticking pitches or blocking the ball as should be, or like maybe you call out a time when they need to work on their, uh, their transfer and things like that. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. And, and there's a lot of great guys out here catching wise. I mean, we've got a great fraternity of catching instructors um, and so much knowledge out there. And there's some great examples of charting bullpens and charting receiving and, uh, blocking and whether a guy gets 90 feet and obviously our pop times are our release times. And those are all things that we look to try to do uh, as well to measure. Um, we do a competition at the end of the fall, kind of what we call our top gun competition that um, we have different uh, tests for every aspect of catching. And it's a competition uh, to see who is the best at all of them. Um, it is a little bit of a measuring stick, but I think without a doubt, Trey, yes, uh, the more you can, uh, have some competition for the receiving, blocking, throwing, uh, the better it is to help in the evaluation. Also the feedback when you're having your individual meetings, um, and also just to decide who, who might be your catcher. That's a good point. Yeah. Just who's going to be your guy. Yeah. And you know, I, I could tell you this for and for just as just for us, we're going to choose the best defensive guy versus the best offensive guy. And so we've had some catchers that pretty strong offensively, but we're lacking maybe in the receiving or pitch calling or in the leadership department. We're definitely going to side more with the defensive guy, um, even though he may not, you know, produce a lot offensively. We feel it's just more important to have a defensive catcher back there. And that's something we let all our guys know coming in. And obviously in our program is, you know, if you're trying to decide whether to go catch a pen or go get some swings in, you better go catch the bullpen. You may not get your swings in, but that's not going to cost you from being in the lineup. But um, spending too much time on your swing and not enough on the defense will definitely, um, you could DH, but you may not be our catcher. Good point. Is there's nothing more frustrating? We were talking about the other day. I was talking about with some um, 
it's just there's nothing more frustrating. You're, you're playing you're playing fetch and your catcher's not there and they're not able to handle their pitchings and then the pitching's not able to have confidence throwing their stuff. So it's definitely you definitely need to have a guy be catching first. Oh, definitely. And, and that's the other thing I think too, Trey. It's important with the catching is we spend a lot of time on pitches in the zone or maybe what's called the, the straw ball that Jerry Weinstein called, you know, the borderline strike ball. And, you know, we're working on that low pitch and can we get it a strike in the uh, glove side? But really we need to spend time with the balls that are out of the zone just as much because even though it's out of the zone, the ball bouncing and clanking off our glove, going back to the backstop where we can't handle it, we drop it. I think for pitchers, it's just a bad vibe, man. And I've got a guy who's kind of wild and he's all over the place, but the ball's sticking in your glove, that's a good receiver. That can sometimes make a pitcher feel like he's actually doing better than he really is. But when, like you said, the ball's going back to the backstop, now the pitcher realizes, I got no command. I ain't holding on to this thing. Everybody knows it. But if the catcher can catch him, uh, it might it might make a difference in how that that pitcher responds. So you're talking about spending more time on on balls that are outside of the zone, maybe making like some well, like you said earlier about the, the variation of it, trying to make it more athletic. The more athletic you are, the more you can make make adjustments to things that maybe aren't the typical pitch. Right. That's exactly right. And now, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we've got to spend the majority of our time on the pitches that we're going to handle the most, which yeah. are going to be strikes and borderline. But we can't forget about working on, you know, if we're throwing it as a coach or using a machine, is to have that ball shoot out up left, up right, down and low, down and in, down and away, to where we've got to learn how to handle that ball. Because first of all, if there's runners on, we don't want the pass ball wild pitch occurring. So when we can work outside the norm, um, I think it's only going to make us better as a receiver. But we've got to make sure we're implementing that in our training at some point. Great point. I even love the point about just giving the pitcher like he just still, you know, he doesn't think he's doing as bad as if, if we're able to catch the, That's ball, right. catch the ball instead of fetching it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catch first, fetch. That's exactly right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> So that's cool. What what are some, so like, will you just like, you know, as whenever you're like, let's say for instance, we're working on our, those borderline pitches and all of a sudden ball comes up as like, as you just kind of get random and you just kind of keep them guessing like that. Yeah. You know, I think like all, all coaches and, and all teachers, um, you start with simple and then become a little bit more complex in your drill so we might start with some dry work and just working on shadow drills or moving our hand and working on different pitches to catch them. So there's no ball. That's the simplest task. And then we may go, let's work on a specific area. Let's work on glove side, knee and below. And let's work on that pitch. Let's work on above the knee. Let's work there. Uh, and now let's kind of mix it up. Um, and then it may be above the knee, below, or it may be outside the body that we have to catch. So now we want to make it more game-like. And I think a lot of coaches, I, you know, I think we all do that as teachers to start with the simple and make it more complex and really try to make it, in some cases, situations that won't even occur in games, whether it's the speed or location to see how a guy can react to something. Um, you know, we'll do different drills where the catcher may start in a push-up position, 
And when I say go, he's going to pop up and here comes the ball. And again, that's not going to happen in a game, but the body's got to organize itself in a way that it normally doesn't have to. I think as we're learning how people learn, um, this type of complexity can only help us when the task is simple as in just sitting in our stance and catching a ball. So complexity, I think, is really important to have that as part of your training um, at some point. That's a great point. Just up in the body, organize itself and help when the game is, you know, you're making That's it more right. complex, right? Right. Uh, Eric Backage, I think, talked about this as well, uh, ABCA, about, you know, your training needs to be a percentage higher than the actual game. It needs to be much more difficult than the game itself. And I think that's, you know, we're, we're all trying to do a portion of that somehow, uh, whether we're doing it in fielding, hitting, pitching, whatever, um, so that the game can become much simpler and much easier. Mm-hmm. Now, within your development model that, you know, you've always done this, you've always, you know, sided with the development and help guys with that. Um, is that, yeah. have you, have you stayed with that same model or is this something like, you know, making it more complex and having challenging more guys? Is that something that's always been there with you or, uh, is that something that's recently changed as people have started to go that way? Well, I, I think we've all evolved and I'm sure I've evolved as well in 30 years, um, from how we, we trained catchers, um, you know, 30 years ago to where we're doing it now. And obviously, again, because of all we've learned from the, the great instructors and the great teachers out there, um, no, I think we've involved in a lot of ways. I think, you know, Zan Barksdale, uh, who has Ketchukon, I think really when he started that, basically organized a lot of catchers into their thinking and brought a lot of catchers together. And it was a great venue. It still is a great venue. And there were certain guys that started to uh, get on the scene, I guess you could call it. Uh, Tanner Swanson is someone that comes to mind. Uh, just a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, when we first heard him at the University of Washington. And just the presentation and his thought processes on how we should learn and how we should teach it. Um, we learned from that. Well, I learned from it. I think that has helped me evolve as a coach are all these guys that we see at the ABCA and the state clinic level. Um, you know, it's not so much reinventing the wheel. It's just helping us to put a new coat of paint on this car and uh, help us think a little bit clearer um, and help kids learn better, whether it's through visual training, it's verbal training, whatever it is, is um, to have a lot of tools in our toolbox so we can get the most out of each guy. But um, um, guys like Van and, and Tanner and Ryan Cienko and those guys um, re really just, they're great teachers. And I think that's what they are. And we all are. We're teachers. Um, and we're just trying to figure out how to get people from point A to point B most efficiently. 100%. They're getting them where they want to be. Really? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So there's a question then, Coach, like getting on this, like, says, um, and do you, how much movement do you like to have? Because you're seeing a lot of guys, you know, start down in the zone. Because like, like you said, even I think um, the things that we do a lot of times in training 
not necessarily that we're not we're not going to do them in a game. So a lot of times we're training with our glove, like swiping the ground as we're and we're coming up to catch the ball. Like how much movement do you like to to when when a, when a catcher is receiving the ball? Yeah, great point. And that and we can go. There's a lot of different opinions on right. it. No one is wrong. There's nobody's wrong. There, there. I think they. Um, it, it it works for different individuals. You know. Um, I've seen some catchers that have such a ton of movement in their bodies. They'll start up, they drop down, they transition from uh, one knee to standard just because of what's going on on the base pass. And, and none of it's wrong. None of it's wrong. Um, I think as a teacher, if I truly believe in something and passionate about it, and I can convince my guys that this is the right way and here's why, then it's great. Um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of a lot of movement. Now we'll work on that little pitch, and can we can we make that pitch look like we're creating momentum uh, to stop it? And that momentum is actually coming into the strike zone, like we're basically trying to put a skid on a moving ball. That skid mark, we would like for it to end up in the strike zone, um, but we'd like to keep it as subtle and small as possible. Um, now, the umpire is going to dictate a lot of this because we always hear umpires say, hey, quit moving the glove. You're moving it too much. Yet they'll still call it strike. So the deception of the timing of catching that pitch, moving it enough that an umpire will give you the strike. For me, don't like a ton of movement. I don't like a lot of movement with the body. I like to keep the body quiet. I think it's important to stay more in the middle of the plate and work things back to the center. But you know, a lot of great coaches and a lot of great catchers who've been very effective the other way as well. I just think it's got to be something you believe in and that um, you can convince your catchers it's the right way. Trey, we've all gone to the ABCA clinic, and every time we come back in January, we're ready to change our whole program based on what we've heard a couple guys say. and. And during COVID, holy smokes, we spent time on more Zoom calls listening mm. to coaches. It was tremendous, but we had like four notebooks of information. The hardest thing coaches had was taking that information and figuring out what works for you. You got to have some core principles. It doesn't mean you may not change and adapt a little bit, but you can't, can't take it all. You got to pick and choose when you're going shopping you got to just make sure you fill up a small cart. Don't, don't bring a bus and fill it up. And I think that's the hardest thing as all of us coaches has to do is figuring out what tools do we want to put in our toolbox this year. Your phenomenal gold. Like that was just absolutely. I love that. I love all of that. Um, because it's so much of what I feel like a struggle. Like, you know, then like, because everybody talked about being a constant learner, constant learner. And those are the things that are the real part about being a console. Yes, I'm going to learn, but it's also like I'm going to learn these things, but it's also like I'm going to balance these things and I'm going to learn this and be right. open to it. But I'm also going to balance it off of like what I do or what I manage or what I'm passionate about what you said. I like how you said that. Like if I'm passionate about it and get my guys to buy in I'm, and I can center around and get this done. And then the, the learning part is I'm going to bounce this off of that to see if it, is it going to play or that's right. Is it better? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, and I think that's what we all struggle. We all talked about it during the the COVID, uh, all these Zoom calls we were all part of. Is right. Man, we have so much of this. You know, how am I going to use it? And uh, and and for me, it's still a battle. It's still a battle of of um, knowing what to use and not to use, and the timing of it, um, trial and error. Um, but still, there's still some things that that I've always done and I truly believe in. Um, may not be right, but it's something I believe in. And, and, and the key is, is getting our players to also buy in and believe in it. That's key. There you go right there. And yeah, I think, uh, I guess what I'm hearing from you is at, when they see that your passion and you speak very fluently about it with your expertise, then that's, what's going to create that buy-in. Yeah, I think more than anything, you're right. It's 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 your passion and your love for it. Um, I, I'm very passionate about about catching and and really the position itself because it is truly the leadership position. And and I've always felt like the guys that we've had in our program as catchers, I've always kind of uh, indirect way paid attention to what they did after they left and. You want to make sure, hey, did they end up being great fathers and husbands? Were they really good at their job? Were they loyal, hardworking? You know, did they advance? Did they do things the right way? Did they have servant hearts? And and I'm I'm hoping that when we're developing our catchers, that's what we're truly developing. Great leaders on the field, great men off the field because of the position and the responsibilities that come with it. And certainly we love to do it with all our players. But the catching position is so unique and for what it what it entails and all the different characteristics that make a great catcher, um, pitch calling, umpire relationship, uh, leading your teammates, leading a pitching staff, all calling, all that game decisions. There's so much that goes into it. Compare it to the linebacker in football, the defenseman in hockey, the point guard in basketball. You know, uh, it's such a crucial uh, position. I think your success of your team is built on that catcher. Mm. Very, very big, big time leadership position for sure. It makes it for a long mm-hmm. game. It makes for a long season when that guy's not right. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, you got that. That's right. We've all been there with that too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are long games, man. Tough games for sure. And they also make it a difference. I mean, honestly, it's almost a, it, it, it definitely is. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, coach, just getting into part of that, like servant leadership and your leadership part of things. Um, how do you incorporate those things, coach? How do you incorporate, you know, that kind of side and developing them on and off the field? Well, I, I think it's, it, we, we've got to teach it. We've got to talk about it. And I think we we do the classroom and the, the sit down, um, we use uh, video, we use um, things we'll see on YouTube, anything we can find on leadership. We want our guys to hear examples of it. We want to know what the traits of a leader are um, so that we can have those characteristics. If we don't have them, we'd like to learn them. You um, talk about having uh, good listening skills, uh, be aware, have empathy, You know, good persuasion. Do you have foresight? Do you have... Uh, are you a good healer? Um, so we want to talk about what traits are for a servant. Um, what are the traits of a good leader? 
um, what's a servant leader? I, I'm fortunate to be at a Christian university. It's a part of our program, our mission statement. Part of that, you know, we feel as a Christian is is to be um, a servant, serve others. So it's really just about life first. We're able to actually also do it in the sport that we play. And as we just said, the catching position has that built in already. So we'll talk about it. And then we've got to practice it on the field. And when I see it and when I hear it from our guys, they've got to see how excited we are. And they've got to get that feedback that that's it right there. Beautiful. That's what we want. That's an example of it. And when we miss out on moments, hey, that was an opportunity right there that you could have communicated with someone that would have been that servant type leadership. That would have been that empathy. That would have been better job of listening right there. So we've got to be attuned of what's going on, make corrections, suggest, and then also encourage and praise when it gets done. But we've got to be intentional about that every day um, on the field and then off the field. Talk to them about finding wins every day. What's a win? A win is going to the store. And if you're getting a, uh, an orange juice at the local convenience store, what kind of conversation are you having with that clerk? Um, you're standing in line. Are you having a conversation or starting something up with someone in line? We never know where wins are going to occur. Holding the door open for someone is a win. Saying thank you and please and have a great day is a win. And how many wins can we find throughout the course of the day? These kids can't do it just in practice. They got to practice it every day in their life. Then it becomes a part of who they are. Fire me up. Fired up. Heck yeah. Let's go. Oh, let's go, coach. Let's go. Um, so, and, uh, man, uh, absolutely. Is this something, so when you, as you recruit, or is this something that you look for? Is these things that's just now you're kind of attracted, you're kind of just getting a person, or um, how how how, is, how does this affect you with recruiting? Well, great question. Um, you look for it. There are signs we all look for when you're sitting with a recruit and his parents. How does he interact with mom and dad? Uh, what's his facial reactions when mom is talking? Um, you know, is there a respect value there? So there's there's things you're going to pick up on a recruit that you feel like he would fit in very well with kind of what we're looking for or what our standards or what our culture is. But I also learned valuable lessons from a our football coach at Carson Newman for a lot of years, Coach Ken Sparks. And Coach Ken Sparks, when he retired, was fourth all-time leading college football in wins of all levels, a phenomenal football coach and a phenomenal uh, Christian. And he used to talk to me about, you know, listen, I'm in the business. Uh, the football is a church. That church is opportunities for us to save people. And sometimes we may take an individual that we know just may not make it here, just, just may not do it. But you know what? As a church, we have to bring them in and say, can we save this young man? Can we change this young man's life? And so there's times we see a kid like, man, probably not going to be the best fit. 
But you know what? Why not us? Maybe we're the difference in that kid's life. Maybe we're the way we change that kid, the way he thinks, the way he treats people. Because he's going to be around others and he gets to see how it should be done and how it can be done. So really, we're in that mission of changing people's lives. We can't dismiss those that may not fit into our program. Sometimes we got to bring them in and then maybe we can change them. Love it. Love it. I, I think that's a phenomenal way to even think of it uh, as that. That's interesting because most people, even the perception of like, you know, Christian university or something like that, where you're just like, Oh, that's just for this. But no, like we're still trying to bring people into that, you know, and, and live them that life. So I, I think that's a, a great, a great part, uh, a great perspective there. That was really interesting. I really like that. Can we change this man's life and why not us? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And obviously the V, you know, we have the vehicle and that's baseball. Um, and, and hopefully we have enough people in it. And uh, Coach Sparks, man, what a phenomenal guy, man. God. And, and he used to always say, every time you see him, go, hey, go, go Griff, where's your heart today? your heart today every time i saw him where's your heart and it was just a reminder of make sure your heart is in the right spot make sure your purpose is not being forgotten and anytime you're getting to a point where this or that just make sure you don't forget where your heart should be and where it's at and 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 again you talked about this who are we who are we surrounding ourselves with you know what people are we spending time with that we're getting self-reflection and having people that are honest about what we're doing or how we're doing it. I'm very fortunate. Uh, Coach Fred Corral, a dear friend of mine for years, we went through a book years ago called Purpose Driven. And it was one of those books where we really got close to each other. We were friends, but this put us on another level. And basically, he, he's like my mentor. We speak often during the week. And not so much about baseball, but just about where our heart is and what our purpose is and um, what we're doing for others. And it's kind of just a place to kind of check in, a pit stop. But we need someone who's going to be honest with us and maybe tell us, hey, listen, that's, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Not a yes man, but someone who will tell us the right way that we should be doing things. Um, Monday mornings. We're, we're fortunate. 9 a.m., Mike Lynch, he's a pastor out of uh, Georgia, and they started up a uh, Zoom call. And basically, it's a Bible study for 30 minutes. It used to be a couple scouts down in the Atlanta area. It's now grown to about 90 coaches, high school, college, all levels, professional coaches. Um, we're on that call Monday mornings from 9 and 9.30, and it's a chance to reflect about God's word and how that relates to us as coaches, as fathers, as husbands. And what a great way to start the week uh, is to do that. I think all coaches need some sort of pit stop and some sort of check-in because this thing goes so fast. Next thing you know, you've been in the position 10 years and it's flown by. And the, the way we can slow it down are these little moments where we spend time with a group of men or people and uh, maybe a, a buddy or, or, or some mentor, as you mentioned earlier, we've got to have that in our lives um, so that we're making sure we're on the right path. How would you, how would you recommend, you know, like, you know, you coach Corral, you know, how would you recommend 
a guy, you know, a younger coach or coach that would do that? How, how would how would they go about having that person, getting that person? You you mentioned earlier before we started, like, you know, how you got this thing going, which yeah. was a tremendous idea. You called coaches up. And it's like, well, if I'm going to call them up, let's do it like this. And I think it's simply making a phone call to coaches that maybe you have seen or heard and just mentioned, you know, as a young coach, I would say, you know, Trey, I, I've heard this podcast. It's tremendous. Um, we can see that you're passionate about not only the game, but just making kids better people. Um, why is that? And that conversation gets started. And then it's like, do you mind if I check in with you like once every two weeks or maybe just text and maybe if I have some questions and it's just like anything else, that's how a relationship starts is with hello. Um, and then asking questions and, um, you know, that Monday morning call, those 90 coaches, all those guys, I mean, we're talking some who's who on that call are all so open to having a relationship with someone to mentor, to listen to, to talk to, um, just bounce ideas off of. So I think there are so many different ways to go about that, um, that it's really simple. It's really simple. That's great to hear right there. And just, uh, you know, cause it could be, it could be just be overwhelming to someone and thinking about, you know, like coach Corral, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to reach out to somebody like that, you know, it, it can be definitely <clears throat> overwhelming, you know, and that's why a lot of guys, even just for me, like doing the podcast and, and can't believe that, you know, so I'm like, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, but it, how simple it is really just help. Like you said, everything starts with hello. <laughs> yeah. All these guys you've had on here, like Chan Brown there from, you know, you, you, you send them a text, you send them an email, heard your podcast, love what you said. Um, would love to ask you a couple questions if you ever have the time. I mean, very rarely are any of these guys going to say no, because what they want to do is they want to share. Um, they want to give back. Um, I think the baseball fraternity is very special and I think other sports and I've talked to other coaches and other sports, especially going to conventions seems to be a little more secretive and don't bounce ideas off each other as much baseball. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the ABCA and what they've created. Um, and guys like Jerry Schiedinger, uh, when he was with that, um, everybody is welcome. We can learn as much from the professional guy, we can learn just as much from the youth coach. We can learn from the high school coach. We can learn from each other. And I think that's what's so special about this fraternity. You got a guy on one of your podcasts, just send him an email. Loved your talk. Could I, could I get 10 minutes of your time? Ask you a couple questions. Bang, that relationship starts right there. Absolutely. No, totally agree. Totally, totally agree. And, and um, it's, it's definitely something that's – just truly has helped me. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a, a, a moment there where you have to just be like, all right, I'm just going to, just going to put it out there. Just going to say hello. Yep. But you're right. You like, it yep. just starts with a little hook of just like, like you said, a little bit of, Hey, I saw this about you or like a little research of like, I know that you've done this or X, Y, Z. And I'd love to learn more about that. And yep. um, yeah, that's, that's typically, you know, um, 
the typical where it's at, but I think that's just, I really appreciate you just kind of diving into that and just the simplicity, but it's also being very clear of, because people talk about that stuff all the time, coach. And I don't think what, well, you think you're going to do a great job of just, just spelling out the simplicity and being clear on that's all it needs to be, you know? Yeah. And it, and it grows from there. That's right. It does. It does. I tell all our guys that um, our coaches, when they go to scout or if they go to a game, I said, listen, you go to a game, you try to find as many people that are at that game, other college coaches, whatever, and make sure you make it a point to go up and introduce yourself and talk with them. And then every coach has a specialty. Every coach, whether it's pitching, infield play, catching, every coach has a specialty. And you want to find out what that is, and then you want to find something he knows. Because I think everybody would love that opportunity to speak about what they love to do or what they love to coach. And I said, when you get that moment, take it in, write notes down, and learn something from them. Maybe the guy loves recruiting more than anything else. Well, pick his brain about recruiting. Become a better recruiter. So when you go to these games, this isn't just to watch games. This is to learn. Like every day is an opportunity to learn something from someone. Take advantage of that. And unfortunately, I think too many guys go to places and they don't do that. And, and I think they're missing out on, on what life's all about. And that's relationships and, and, and being with people and learning from others. Um, there's so many stories we can learn from each other, but unfortunately, I don't think we spent a lot of time doing that. No, no, I totally agree. You know, I totally agree. Or, man, I got a lot of like, I'm taking notes and I have a lot of things with exclamation marks. <laughs> just noticing that, <laughs> like, just like that. Life's about relationships and learning from others. Exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, we, right. We don't just come right. to watch games. We come to learn. Exclamation yep. mark. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, yes. So good. Yes. It's really good, Coach. I really appreciate it, man. This is great and great. Um, I would uh I guess uh, you said um I, I guess I, I'm just learning just how much because it for me is that you know as a head coach or putting a head when you put the head coaching role on and you're trying to uh, you know, like you said, you give more attention to catchers and what you're looking at. Just kind of, it's your passion. How do you balance mm -hmm. all of that? How do you balance doing those things and still being able to manage and wear all the hats that the head coach has to wear? My first coaching job, I was the only coach uh, at Tusculum College. I got the job right when I graduated from Tennessee Wesleyan that summer. I got the job at Tusculum. I got that job and I literally was the only coach there for two years. So I coached pitchers, infield, outfield, but that was the greatest lesson I could have as a coach to learn all the different positions. Now having some assistants and people, uh, phenomenal people uh, that I work with for me now. And I tell our coaches, like, you got to see everything. If I'm working with catchers out of the corner of my eye, every once in a while, I'm taking a glimpse down to the bullpen or out in the outfield that's going on. And I want to be able to see good and bad. I want to catch something good. And I want to catch someone that's maybe not doing what they should be doing. I want them to think that there's someone watching them at all times. So I've got to have, basically, I can't have blinders on. My head's got to be on a swivel. I got to see everything. It's kind of like talking with coaches when a play happens. 
We always watch the ball go to the shortstop and then watch it go to first. My eyes are usually watching the guy backing a base up or something on the back end. I want to see the other things um, versus just the action itself. So when we're in training, uh, I'm throwing BP. I'm quickly making a turn and seeing with that runner second how he reacted to that ball that was just hit. And either encourage what he just did, like that's it, great read, or hey, that was not a good read, here's why. And, and I think then it keeps your kids like, hey, everything matters. Everything matters. Don't take a play off. Um, and if we can train that way, then we hope that we will play that way as well. I, I love, I, I do. I really like that. I, I, and I've never really noticed that because I'm very, very similar to that, you know? And like you said, trying to catch people being good and catch the bad, you know, catch it. But, but, but really what you're creating is that I'm watching it all. And when we are practicing, you are creating a sense of urgency, you know, or creating a sense of purpose. Uh, as you said, everything matters. Yeah. And, and I, I probably not good at this, Trey. I, I got more learning to do. I, I might micromanage a little bit. I, I let our coaches coach, but like when we're stretching, I, I'm there with the stretches. I'm watching them stretch because I don't. I, I, I don't want it to be a goof fest. I, I want it. it you got to get certain things done. Doesn't mean we can't talk, and but we got to make sure we're getting the stretch done that we're supposed to get done. When we're in the weight room, I'm in the weight room with them because I want to make sure that if I'm going to evaluate you about playing, I want to make sure that I know in the weight room you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I might be talking to a kid, but I'm counting the reps of the kid behind him, making sure he gets his reps in. And if he doesn't, I got to call him out. I got to say, hey, listen, Junior, you're supposed to get six there. You got four. You, you cut it short right there. That's not acceptable. And then I think, you 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 know, Depending on your squad, we have a very veteran-oriented group. Well, now you hope that your veterans are doing that. You hope that the players take ownership and do that. And if it's a younger group, then you as a coach probably have to do that a little bit more. But if you got a standard that is being set by the program, then someone's got to hold it accountable. And if it's not the players, then I believe it's got to be me. Sure. No, absolutely. Especially, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head was like, so am I a veteran club or am I, you know, are we a pretty young club? And I think it all really relates there, starts there. Mm -hmm. That's right. Goes back to feel, having a feel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, feeling awareness. Like you said, our sport is made for it. Uh, no doubt. Feeling awareness, you know, real and feel, you know, everything. You know, it's just such a huge thing right now. Oh, boy. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. I love that you just got to see everything and being able to, that's such a, I, even for me to get, get that and hear that from you and, and, and where I feel like just, just knowing that it just seemed like a very good teacher. Good teachers do that in classrooms, you know, they need to be able to see that and kind of, you know, it's like that mom, you know, you had the eyes in the back of your head, you know, being able to see everything, you know, like that's the good, that's the thing about it. You're not getting it away, you know, or, or, or creating that. And I've talked with our squad about this and, you know, because I think when we talk about kids and we talk about like being good leaders, they think it means you got to find something wrong and then you got to yell at the guy or you got to correct. Let's like, listen, that might be about 10% of what you do. 90% of it is the encouraging. 
it's seeing someone do something well and being like, yo, great job right there. Great effort. Way to, way to sell out right there. That is 90% of leadership is recognizing others' efforts and praising it so that they'll want to do it again, obviously. And I think a lot of kids and sometimes coaches, we get confused and think, well, we got to just find a lot of wrong and then fix the wrong. Well, no, let's, let's keep the rights going and keep encouraging the rights so that they keep doing that. And I think especially for kids, we've got to remember them uh, to do that as well when we're talking about how to lead. Yep. Praising what you want. Absolutely. You know, you're praising, yeah. praising the positive, you're praising what you want and then you're going to, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's because typically, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, I'm in the classroom, I'm in the classroom and teaching them when you, you say, Oh, I really like how this person's doing this. And all of a sudden you just see a domino effect. Other people fall. Oh, I'd like some of that. I'd like some of that. You know, like that's definitely, definitely a great tactic when you say, yeah, if you can be 90% encouraging, uh, and then 10% really is just you just kind of holding the line or, you know, holding kids to that standard that really that you want. I think that's a, um, cause that's just ha- going to happen. I mean, nobody's perfect, you know? So, but like, I think right. you, get, you get more of it when you're praising what you want, you know, mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the day too, mm-hmm. that kid, that kid who's doing it, we want that kid more, you know, we want him that's to right. stay hungry and we should be giving yep. him because he loves it so much that he's, Doing it the right way, you know, and doing it the way that yep. we want. That's yeah. right. That's right. Now, now, what do you teach? Uh, what subject do you teach? Seventh grade social studies. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah, man. Middle yeah. school. Oh, yeah. good one, huh? Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> I taught 11 years elementary. So I taught second grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, taught it all, right? All things. And I think yeah. that made me a teacher that I am. You talking about managing a room. You do it with second graders that, you know, have a hard time. You know, for me now, it's like I taught kids how to how to read, you know, learning to read. Now I teach kids read to learn, um, you know, and so it's that's a different model. But, um, you know, really enjoy it. But, so, yes, middle school is a very uh, – it's a unique age for sure. Uh, people are, you know, it's yeah. a weird, weird time to be a person, a human. And um, but it's a great time to, you know, to learn some valuable lessons. And I think I have a, a bigger impact there. I get to impact more kids. Um, so I, I enjoy yeah. that. I enjoy that for sure. But uh, did, so did, did, has it, what has that done for you as a baseball coach, you know, as a teacher in the classroom, working with very young kids to middle school, has that helped you as a baseball coach in, in how you go about your teaching and development? Yeah, it just it, you're very aware of the different levels uh, when you're in elementary school and you've got 20 kids that all the way one kid that can't read a word a sentence and the other one that'll read to you um any book you put in front of them that's a huge challenge you know and you learn real quick that i gotta help these kids with where with where they are um you know and Mm kind of meet meet kids where they are and kind of just be the person so you know very aware of that you know we have you know our three hole hitters it's kind of like um like i love matt deggs you know the wolf pack system you know and and mm-hmm. you know, when, mm-hmm. you're, when you're bucketing hitters you know and not all hitters should be bunting and sack sack bunting in my eyes because i just think about what they right. need or sometimes the game calls for it, but yeah that means well some kids they still some kids might need more of it than others uh but some kids can drive the gap and some kids have to work on the backside ground ball uh that's how they're going to help yeah. us get on base um so uh, it's just for me it's just a matter of 
the attention to detail, you got to plan when you're in middle school. I mean, you got to plan all the time. I think being a good teacher, I think um, not necessarily the, you know, the plan is important, just the planning, you know, having it, having mm -hmm. an idea of what you're going into. So all of that has, I've always had to write it down. I've always had to, you know, kind of structure it. I think that's where uh, the, the pedagogy and what this thing's kind of helped me do. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, as, as going up from second graders to seventh, you just really understand you're trying to meet kids where they are. Um, you know, that, that yeah. was, a, that's, that's a big thing. And, and you know, what lesson plans, that's just like planning the baseball practice is a lesson plan, right? Absolutely. <laughs> You've been Absolutely. doing that your whole life. All the time, every day, every day since, uh, 2005. Uh, absolutely. So speaking of, uh, speaking of practice plans, coach, like, so, you know, I know you said that you had like, what, how have your practice plans, like thinking about that, like, what are your practice plans like? Um, is that something that you take control of, like, or you have, uh, do your assistant coaches get certain times of that? How do you guys manage your practice plans? Yeah, I think, um, you know, get input from everyone, obviously, of what we think we need to cover and what we want to do. But uh, again, I think it's a variety in our training. Um, I think we do traditional practices like everybody else with the different segments from individual time to team defensive time to BP. But we also like to do things kind of like what football does. I like using other sports and how they do things and implementing into our program. So we may go from one station to another and come back to it again. So we might do, uh, we might have four groups of BP, uh, four different groups. Well, group one's going to hit. And then, you know, like everybody else, you'll have a group on the bases, a group in the cage and a group doing defense. Well, we'll do that first round with that group hitting. And instead of going to the next round of hitting, we may go to a team defense and have a segment of team defense. And then we may do about a seven minute segment of individual defensive work. And then we're going to come back to the BP group too. And we may rotate that just like that. So we go from one thing to another and kind of mix it up a little bit because the game goes from defense to offense. So a lot of times in practice, we want to shift around very similarly, you know, football will do, different tackling drills, blow the whistle. After about two minutes, they go to a different tra tackling drill or a different drill. We kind of like to do that with practice as well is kind of keep it short, but move around a lot. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Like you said, you go from defense to offense. Yeah. Offense. Yeah. We might go, uh, make do a base running segment into a team defense. All right. Into BP. And then let's go back into a base running. We'll go to a team defense. We'll go back to BP. We just want to mix the segments up. Um, I think for kids, if the pace is quick, it moves from one thing to another. They don't get stagnant or stale. Um, and we want to try to have as much variety with our practices as well. Just like everyone else, try to do competitions, um, have something on the line. Um, catch play is extremely important for us. Um, you know, anything we can do where there's, there's a ball being thrown and we've got to catch it and move the ball around. We try to do that as much as possible. So a simple pop-up drill, pop-up goes up. Um, once the catch is made, we're yelling a number that they got to throw it to. Whistles are being blown. Um, we might have another ball go up. 
We might have five balls go up uh, like, like fireworks and figure it out. Figure it out. Don't let the ball hit the ground. Just figure it out at that time. If we can create that mass hysteria and let them learn how to be comfortable and make decisions during that, we're hoping that'll transfer into a game that will have less chaos. Creating mass hysteria. Nice. Yeah. Hey, nice. The music's playing. We we crank the music up from when they get there. We got music playing. I'm a big 80s fan, so we got 80s pop going. Uh, we might mix in a little country here and there for some of the guys, but I usually play the music cause I like it and I want to enjoy it. Uh, the kids can't always get what they want. So, um, I'm going to get the eighties pop. We'll get the music blast in as loud as we can. So that communication has to be loud. Part of our brand and what we talk about is being great communicators, being passionate about what we do and being mentally and physically tough. That's a brand. That's something we want to do every day. In order to communicate, we've got to learn how to do it with some volume. So if we've got the music playing, you're going to have to be loud. You're going to have to you're going to have to be able to talk to a guy who might be about 40 yards away. That music's playing right now. I think the music playing keeps the blood pumping, keeps guys involved. Uh, and again, it's a little more chaotic than the normal game's going to be. Love it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it's. Wow, Coach. Uh, man, here we are, almost an hour and a half in. Um, holy moly. Uh, if, is there anything that you'd like to leave us with? Can I just kind of wrap it up here? I want to respect your time and everything. Um, yeah. Anything that you want to wrap anything up, thing that we haven't got into? I, You know, not, not really. I, I just, listen, I've been so fortunate. Some great people in my life. Um mentioned some already, some of them I haven't, that have really been influential in, in my development as a person, um, not only as a coach, but also in my faith uh, with Jesus Christ, um, which completely, you know, my life got changed going from Tusculum to Carson Newman. Um, you know, my purpose in life changed drastically when that happened. And um, if I didn't have that, I don't know where I'd be. So I'm very fortunate for all the people in my life, the coaches I had as a in youth college, um, the guys I've known throughout the years here have all made a huge difference in my life. I would tell people, be a constant learner. I mean, constantly try to learn, find a mentor in your life, find people in your life that help you grow. Um, I think as a, as a person and maybe more importantly, spiritually, um, you know, try to find a servant heart, try to find ways to help others as much as possible. Um, help the game grow, help kids grow. Let's get people ready for uh, life. And, and again, in our program, we give our kids choices, but we tell them what they're going to do. You know, when we're instructing a kid, sometimes we're not going to wait for them to come to us and say, I'm having problems. Sometimes we see the problem and we're going to be like, Hey, we're fixing it now. We're not going to wait three months. I'm not going to wait for you to come tell us that you're having trouble because it's too late and you waited too long. So a lot of times what we're trying to do is get these kids ready for life. And we want, we want a generational kid. Everybody talks about this generation. I just say, you know what? There's a lot of kids in this generation. They could have lived in any generation. There were kids I grew up with that couldn't live in any generation. They were lazy, lethargic. They didn't want to do nothing. That's been in every generation. But what we're trying to get are kids that could have grown up in the greatest uh, generation of all time back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. 
You know, someone that if we said right now, hey, your country's being invaded, are you ready to go fight? Instead of saying, well, it depends on this. No, yes, I will go fight. What we're seeing what's taking place in Ukraine, uh, I've heard some coaches say they've asked your place, hey, would you do that here? Well, it depends. Depends on what. My father grew up in what was called the greatest generation back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, He served in World War II. There was no question him going to serve. No question at all at 18 years of age. And what I want to do is develop kids that have that same mindset of a servant leadership, of serving something greater than themselves, uh, their fellow man and fellow woman. That's what I want. And so our program is built on developing that. And I think that's what we all got to be doing, because if we don't have those moral and ethics, who knows what we're going to leave this generation with uh, in the next several years. We want to make sure it's going to be stronger. Coach Tom Griffin, just can't thank him enough for taking the time, showing all his passion, his love for the game, love for development his love for development of the whole person, not just a baseball player. Loved his talks. A couple highlighting things for me is how, you know, he's very, uh, he talked about communication a lot. I think it just shows how important it is. And I I think that's come out as a, a pretty standard theme is communication, how people are continuing to learn how to communicate with people. Um, practice, you know, developing, Putting people, the practice needs to be, the practice needs to be at a higher level than the game. To get people, in like, and then you talk about the end was there, um, creating the mass hysteria, creating the chaos. And if we can find peace, if we can find decision making within that mass hysteria, we're going to slow the game down. Um, that development is pretty huge. Um, any relationship, starting with hello, you know, getting the mentor, getting, getting funding a group to bounce ideas off, to have that accountability, to honestly then too is to enjoy and slow, slow it down and have that, what he called, pit stop. Really, really great. Very interesting, unique perspective about practice and doing practice like, okay, now we're going to do offense, then we're going to go defense. Um, kind of playing it like in the game and, and kind of re- revisiting those kind of different um, le- areas of the game. So it's not like we just do team defense and then we'll, we'll come out, we're, we're going we're gonna to revisit that. Uh, throughout the practice uh, a very interesting take on practice planning I thought that was really unique um, let, let alone uh, just his you know the, the, his value of the, of the catching position really really based off of leadership and how that person really needs to um, have a much higher expectation um, out of the catching position uh, again if you are not following him follow at catch block throw on Twitter. Uh, you'll see some of his top gun competition videos there. Look at his website, catchblockthrowit.com. Those videos there, the top gun competition is super cool. Um, it's a great way to add those. And then like, if you're creative and start thinking about it, like you're going to find ways to do that with everyone and finding ways you do it. Cause it's, it's very purposeful. It's intentional and it's fun, man. It's fun. So, great stuff, Coach. I can't thank you enough. Thank you to the guys the Netting Pros for what they do. And, and most importantly, thank you guys for helping us grow the game. Thank you guys for helping us continue to grow the podcast. Um, there's people enjoying it, like Coach Griffin. I just was absolutely humbled by a guy like him and all he does for development, all he does. And then for him to talk about the podcast is 
was pretty humbling and um, motivating too. Uh, honestly, to keep th- to keep things going because it's not it's, it's not that it's it's not easy uh, finding time and, and doing it late into the evening after my kids go to bed and things like that. But uh, uh, it definitely was. So it was uh, great to hear. And any other feedback that I can get from it, and um, willing to talk to people that want to continue to grow the game and what it's all about so thank you guys until next week keep getting better